They buried me in the water and I came, I knew. Ha <laughs> ha! Now I'm baptized in blue. I'm a fighter. I'm a never quit. I refuse to lose. I got heart and I got gritty. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a fighter. Welcome to the Changing the Culture podcast with your host, me, Autumn Clifford. This is the only self-help podcast hosted by a female cop. I want to welcome you. If you loved that intro, then I want you to go to the end of my podcast and make sure you listen to that music, that tune. It's called Baptized in Blue by One Time Music. He's a fellow police officer. You can find him anywhere you can listen to um, music. He's amazing. I'm really excited to have you here. I hope that you enjoy this podcast episode as much as I enjoyed making it for you. Super excited about today's podcast episode with Adam Knacken. He is the founder of the Tactical Breakdown podcast, an excellent podcast. He's also uh, managing, I know he manages it. I think he is also the co-founder of the ILET network. You can go to ILET.network. It's actually a, a bunch of free training for law enforcement, first responders all across the world. This guy, he's the real deal. He's got a lot going on. He's doing really big things in the world. It was a lot of fun to have him on the podcast, and I hope you're going to enjoy what he is brings to the table because he brings a lot. But before we get into that, I'm going to do a quick shout out to a retired uh, lieutenant out of Illinois. His name is David Vanderport, and he wrote a book. It's called Inside a Cop's Mind. Uh, and I think that this, it's only $10 on Amazon. It's zero for, with Kindle Unlimited. And um, you ought to go and go have a look and go check it out on Amazon, especially if you're looking for a uh, book, good present um, to give to your uh, Leo or give it to yourself. If you are a Leo, go check them out. Shout out, David. Thank you for your service, Lieutenant. And thank you for advising us and sharing this book with us. All right, Sheepdog Nation. I hope you enjoy. I attended the training that you recently put on. Oh, uh, the NERC one or which one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was good. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, well, it wasn't my idea. That was the guys at CTP, but, uh, definitely needed. Right. So yeah, totally. I was, I was just happy to be able to facilitate. Yeah. So did you guys have a good, like, did you guys have a good turnout? We did. Yeah. We had a thousand, I think we had a thousand people on live. That's amazing. So not so bad. Yeah. It was, uh, it was really good. And we only kind of put it out there about a week ahead of time. Um, and uh, yeah, got a really good turnout. Definitely needed, huh? Oh, I mean, you ask anybody, right. And it's not just law enforcement, it's first responders in general. I mean, everyone's just getting hit super hard. This 20, this year is just <laughs> It's mm-hmm. something special. So, yeah. and it's not over yet, right? We still got another month and a bit yet. So I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, but uh, yeah. What's, what's, can you tell everybody what, what it was? Cause they don't know. Sure. Yeah. So uh, last week we ran the national emergency responder conference. Uh, this was something that was initially planned to be run in. Um, we were going to run it earlier in the year or these guys were in person. Um, up on the West coast. And it was supposed to be an in-person event, a lot of like workshop type stuff, obviously due to COVID got shut down like everything else. And, um, and the team there reached out to me and said, Hey, can we put this online in some way, shape or form? And so we were able to bring together some of the top experts um, when it comes to mental health and resiliency. 
and uh, we just put a one day workshop together where we had, I think it was seven speakers total. Um, and uh, we basically just let them go through their, their talks. And it was based on the focus of taking yourself and putting yourself in this condition green or getting back to green that um, is kind of finding ways to evaluate your own mental health throughout the day um, and being able to speak and communicate with either uh, your partner, with your shift, uh, with your family, and just saying, hey, listen, man, I'm not feeling so hot today. Um, and then giving them the tools to be able to help you get back to that good place. Um, and that was kind of the, the nuts and bolts of it. And, mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, we, we just workshopped it and we, uh, a lot of people got a lot out of it. So it was really good. I'm happy to hear that. Adam, will you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Oh, I suppose. Uh, well, my name's Adam Kanakin. Um, I'm Canadian. So I'm up here coming at you from uh, Southern Manitoba, uh, where it's been, I think we've had snow on the ground for uh, let's see, a month already. So oh my goodness. Are yeah, you so depressed or do you love the snow? I like the snow. I listen, I was in the <laughs> so I was an infantry officer. Um, we just I spent a lot of my time out in the woods. Um, you know playing, playing soldier out, uh, out in the winter. So we did, I, I love the woods. I'll go camping in the middle of winter. Like I camp, I'll go out camping in winter and all I need is like a bivy or, you know, a hammock and a tarp and I'll just go. Um, and I'm happy. Um, a lot of people aren't like that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so the winter doesn't bother me. Actually heat bothers me. I can't stand like hot vacations. So if I like have to go down to Mexico or something, I'm usually spending most of my time scuba diving or, or something that is active. If you, you'll never catch me laying around on a beach. Really? And so, so anyways, about myself, like I said, a little bit of military background. Um, I specialize in training development. That's really where my, my background lies. Uh, I did psychology in university and I've been in law enforcement training since I got out of the military, um, security, law enforcement, corrections, all of the kind of that, that group of, of trainers. And we started the Tactical Breakdown podcast last year, just over a year ago. Yeah. Which is, a, which is a podcast. It was more specifically for law enforcement instructors, but it kind of, it, we've branched out and done a lot of different things with it, but primarily law enforcement instructors. And then in July, we started the ILET Summit, which is the International Law Enforcement Training Summit. We ran that in July. We had, um, so it was like 70, 76 hours of recorded training content on video. We had wow. 40, 47 instructors and um, we had over 10,000 officers from 76 countries attend the training. That's amazing. So yeah, that was, that was awesome. I mean, massively successful. We raised a lot of money for cop line. So for, for law enforcement, mental health yeah. initiatives. And, um, and then from that came this uh, whole idea of this ILET network, which is essentially just a collaboration of all of the, the companies, the partners, the instructors, anyone that we can get our hands on. Um, and starting to put all these training events out there for people and just giving people access to the best instructors without having them to pay an arm and a leg for the training. So, Absolutely. And so what have you seen for results? Tell me about like, what are people saying? I mean, you're putting amazing stuff out there, but what, what, what's the feedback? Are our officers liking that? Or are they feeling, you know, yeah. so from, from my end, cause Adam, I don't know what you know about me, but so what I do is I, I'm a very big mental health advocate as well. Right. So, um, I faced my own stuff in, I was injured in the line of duty. It was a career ending injury. And so, um, I have a huge place in my heart for the suicide rate. Uh, I can't speak for 
Canada, but I can speak for America and we're losing more officers um, to suicide than we are in the line of duty death. Obviously no secret to you. I, but the problem that I'm seeing is uh, in America is what I can speak for specifically is um, we have a lot of training. There's a lot of training, but it's not effective. And so I would love to hear about how you're training. Like, tell me what you're doing. Tell me the concepts so that other people can, can maybe, you know, take notes from you and it can, it can be effective. We can get in there. Yeah. I love, I love that point, right? There's training out there. It's just not effective. Exactly. And I think we've, we've seen that come to a head this year, right? I think we've seen the results of what happens when we become complacent in our training mm-hmm. and in our policies and, and policy making. Um, and so for me to, to kind of answer the first part of your question about, you know, what are people getting out of it? The, the biggest thing for me is to deliver training to people that need it. And so mm-hmm. everything we do is about delivering as much training content for free or as close to free as possible so that you don't have to go out of your way. Cause a lot of times, especially in the United States where we have, I can't remember how many agencies, but for example, in Ohio alone, there's over 700 agencies of 25 officers or less. Yeah. Right. They don't have massive budgets. And a lot of times those officers are paying out of pocket to get training if they want to do something outside of what's already delegated to them. So what we did is we put this thing together and we said, we want the best trainers and we want you to help the the individual officer. And so what we've done is put this whole thing together to allow for that to happen. But we've also kind of turned the, the training model upside down on itself in that I'm, I'm pissing off a lot of people. <laughs> like, oh, well, get in line, get there's in line. A lot of, there's a lot of people that don't like the fact that we're putting training out that they're charging for. Yeah. Um, and I honestly don't care. And, you know, I think we've noticed what the biggest, the biggest thing that's come out of this. I mean, we have a, an agency partner program that we use yeah. where essentially we took all of the training that we developed um, and we put it in a package where they can access it. And I think it's, it's at cost. So at most, it's like $7 an officer for wow. 70 some hours of training. Yeah. Um, it's just basically to host the person on the platform, mm-hmm. right? So the agency will call in. Um, and so I think we have like 30 or 40 partner agencies now where they actually just access, they send their officers through the training or they'll say, we want them to take these five sessions. Um, and they're doing that a lot. So that's, and that's still continuing. That's ongoing. And we're going to continue that program. Uh, and that's really, really good. But the feedback's just been it's been amazing. And it, I can't take any credit for it. I, I take no credit for it. It's really the instructors that are, are taking their time and sharing mm-hmm. what they know with everybody, right? I consider myself, I'm more of a conduit of information than anything. I'm an instructor. I love teaching. But if somebody comes to me and like, for example, in my wheelhouse, which is use of force defensive tactics, right? I mean, I love mat training. You get me on a mat all day. I'm as happy as a pig and shit, but I know I'm not the best at it. There's people that are a thousand times better than me, either at the skill or at the educational component. And so when somebody comes to me and says, Hey, can you teach me use of force? I go, yeah, sure. No problem. But I want to introduce you to Dr. Bill Lewinsky or a Chris Butler or a Jamie Borden or somebody who knows more than I do because they're the best in the world at it. And so Mm -hmm. I think the biggest problem right now in law enforcement training, we have this conversation all the time is that people get so wrapped into this inbred training model where it's like, this is our agency. This is how we do things here. I don't need anybody else's help. And we go, okay, that's awesome. But there's information outside of your little bubble that is useful to your officers. 
And as an instructor, if you're not willing to go out there and get that information so that you can share it, mm-hmm. then you're not doing your job. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest thing for us is really trying to change the culture of law enforcement instructors than it is to actually change the, the officer themselves. Because by influencing and changing the level and quality of instructors that we have, you're going to automatically affect each individual officer. So oh, that's kind it. of what we've, we've put together and, and kind of the goal of, of everything. I like your philosophy. And so tell me how, how does that work? How do you, how are you, tell me about that. How does that work with the instructors? What does it look like? Well, the number one thing that we do is we focus on only partnering with people that are open-minded. Ah, right. I mean, it was funny, even with the podcast, you know, starting the podcast, I was so picky on people that I would have on. And it was, and it wasn't because I thought other people wouldn't be good guests. It was that I understand that in this industry, you kind of have one shot, right? Once you discredit yourself or you have somebody on um, who isn't reputable, you kind of, you kind of blow it. And so it kind of started there where I was like, I was very, very cautious about the people I would work with. And then it came to be that I, I found myself in kind of the circle where the best people seek out the, the other top people in the industry. And you kind of get wrapped up in this thing where people, I, I like searching for people that are like myself. Um, a great example, a gentleman by the name of Brian Willis. He's actually a former Calgary police officer. He's the deputy executive director for ILEDA. Um, if anybody here knows what ILEDA is. Um, and so Brian was actually the very first guy that put me through my, my first instructor uh, certification. And so what I learned from, he's the kind of guy who he's my go-to, but I'll go to him for something. And he's the most humble dude in the world. Like you ask him who, you know, if he would answer the question, he's like, I could, but I want to pass you off to this person. Those are the people that I look to associate myself with people that are humble enough to understand that there, there is more out there than just what they have to offer, but also that are absolute experts in their own right. Right. So if I want something up to do with like training development, I'm going to go to a guy like Alon Bartel, who's the director of training for Vertra, because not only is he like exceptional on the educational side of things and the academic side of things, the guy's been a law enforcement instructor forever. Yeah. And so he kind of brings the best of both worlds. But again, even he'll direct me to somebody else or some. And I think that's really what we look for is every single person that we bring into this, it's companies, it's organizations, it's instructors, it's experts. And, 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 an expert doesn't have to be an instructor either, right? There's people here who are on this call who are probably experts in what they do. Mm-hmm. And if you are really good at what you do, those are the people we want to talk with. You know, I may not ask you about something that's completely outside your wheelhouse because you're probably not going to feel comfortable sharing your opinion on it. Right. Yes. But if you're an, everyone's an expert at what they do. And this is something that came up on another podcast I did um, with Adam Wills. And we are talking a bit about transitioning. So people that transition, out of law enforcement, out of the military and realizing how much you actually have as a baseline skill set that most people don't have. So even as a general patrol officer for two or three years, even though you were never a specialist at anything, even though you never got up to a command level or even as a patrol sergeant or anything, you still have experience that is so valuable in the outside world on civvy side that it's really about getting people to understand that value. And so those are kind of all the little bits and pieces that we piece together when we create these training programs and these courses and say, what is it that is needed right now, right? Mm -hmm. What is needed for law enforcement today, but how is that going to affect what's happening down the road? 
right? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you one quick example. Um, for the ILET summit that we ran, I had the honor of interviewing a lady by the name of Dr. Tracy Kazee. I don't know if you're familiar with who she is, um, but she's a, so she's an African-American woman. Um, she was, I believe she was deputy chief in New York. Um, hmm. She originally from uh, the West side of the country um, and now works and was the co-founder of the center of policing equity. Um, and so I had her on and we had a very raw open discussion about race in policing. That was the very, that was the first session we ran. And it was a, it was just a, it was a one-on-one -on -one conversation, just like a podcast interview. And I, I asked her, I said, what do you think is the issue right now? Where do we go moving forward? Right. One of the conversations we had was, is all this implicit bias, racial bias, confirmation bias training, is it worth it? And the answer that we came up with was not really like you put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig, right? I mean, you're not going to change culture by saying here, sit down and watch this two hour PowerPoint presentation and say like, okay, yeah, this officer's good. No need to talk. let's we'll follow up on this in 12 months. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. So it's about, can we put something out there that's actionable? Something that the officer can take from this training right now and go and use it on their next shift, right? And if the answer is no, then we're probably going to take a look at that and be like, is this something we really want to put out there? Yeah. If the answer is yes, then we jump on and we go 100% on it because it's actionable and useful right now. That doesn't mean it's going to be great in 12 months because everything's changing so quickly. But in 12 months, we're going to revisit what we're doing and we're going to change and adapt and move things around as we need to, to fit whatever the incoming um, social economic climate is. So yeah, it's, it's really a, it's a very difficult question to answer that you asked, but I hope I, uh, I hope I answered it for you. I think you did. So let's go back. So you said, um, so interviewing um, the doctor who was African-American, um, I, I want you to answer that question. I did the exact same thing. I had three um, was it three? I had three. What did I have? I had two black police officers and two black police spouses, um, a white dispatcher and a white police officer, as well as myself. We sat down right after George Floyd happened and we had the same discussion, exactly what you said, you know, is, is this worth it? What, what are your thoughts? And we, and we did, we had a beautiful round table discussion. What, what did she say? So it, implicit, obviously this training she said is ineffective. What did she say that we should be doing instead of that? Do you remember? Yeah, well, really what it came down to was what, what approach are you taking and where are you going to get the actual information from? Mm. And so a lot of what we discussed was what is the best option on how to affect change at an organizational level and at a community level? Because when we get down to it, we're really, we're talking about community policing. We're talking about developing a better relationship within the community. The number one thing that kind of came out of that was people have to understand that we don't, this one size fits all, paint every department with the same brush, everybody takes the same training is probably the stupidest idea we've ever heard of. 100%. Right? But you it's have, what we've been doing forever. So we're going to well, continue to do things. Know, the same way. <laughs> yeah, but, but the thing is, you know, like I'm up here in, in Southern Manitoba, our community training is going to be different than it is in New York, than it is in LA, than it is in Akron and Ohio, than it is in Lafayette. Uh, what is that? Lafayette, uh, Louisiana, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
is different than anywhere in Arizona or in New Mexico or wherever. Like pick a community, every community is different. So the fact that you're saying everybody has to take this implicit bias training that's the same doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Because when you take the community leaders and the community, um, the civilians from every community and you sit them down and you say, what is it that we can do for you as a police department to help you with everything that you need, right? What is it as a community that you need from us to do for you? What, you know? What are your issues with, with the way things have been handled, right? Mm -hmm. And if and they they can answer those questions better than we can. You know, people sitting up in the ivory tower saying, "Well, we've identified through the last three studies that this is an issue, and this is an issue, and this is an issue." Yeah, you're not doing anything with that information. Right. Like, you need to. For example, one of the things that she said that was fantastic because I had brought this up. I said. So should we be bringing community leaders in to sit down and, and talk and, and get their information? And she said, there's, there's a problem right there. Why are you bringing them to you? Hmm. As a police department, you should be going out to them. Hmm. You should be setting up meetings in their communities, at hmm. their churches, at their community centers, right? Go and sit down for coffee at their local coffee shop and talk to them in their environment. One, it's going to, obviously, it's going to be more comfortable for them. That's that's home base for them, right? Why are you bringing them in to a big building right. that's guarded by people with guns? Yeah. Right? So understanding that, the, the psychology behind that, right? And, and so that's like step one, right? And then when you get that information, not just sitting on it and saying, well, we did our due diligence. We went out and met with them. That doesn't do anything. You have to action whatever it is that comes out of that meeting, there has to be action taken on it regardless, you know, and I understand and everybody understands that there's budgetary constraints and there's all these issues now. So your action plan that comes out of that meeting may not be everything that actually gets approved moving forward. Mm. But as long as you can show that you're taking real steps yeah. to affect real change, that's really what people are looking for. People understand if you're in a, and, and listen, I'm, and I guess I'm, I'm kind of, hypothesizing here. Um, but if I'm in a community and I can see that my needs have been, you know, somebody's listened to what I'm talking about, they're actively trying to make those changes and, and they've gone ahead and they've put those steps in. And for some reason, there's a, there's a budget issue where it can't happen. At yeah. least on my end, I'm sitting there thinking at least somebody put in the effort to actually do something yeah. right. Obviously, you're not going to be happy that you didn't get all of your needs met, but at least it's a start. I think the problem right now is that we have such a divide. It's it's you're with us or you're against us. And that's on both sides that we have no middle ground anymore. There's yeah. no more middle ground. And if we do have a middle ground, it's extremely hostile to both parties. And so, I mean, and I don't have an answer for this, so I hope you're not going to ask me <laughs> to give you an answer. But because <laughs> that was the next thing coming out somebody, of my mouth. Somebody is going to have to come up with a way to to bring everybody to the table in a way that is, you know, that in a way that people just understand that they both feel that their needs are being met, right? From the law enforcement side of things, a lot of people can't understand, like, why can't you just, like, why can't you just do what we're telling you to do, right? Like, stay home. Don't go riot. Obviously, if you do, we're going to, like, why aren't you listening, right? Why are you continue to break these laws that have been set in place in our country? And then everybody on the other side's like, why are you not letting us do this? Why are you, why are these laws even in place? And it's like, we don't have that middle ground anymore. And so I don't have an answer as to what's going to bring the two sides together. Yeah. I think the start, the start has to be these conversations. 
-hmm. The fact that people get on and I, you know, I had this discussion earlier today with one of my friends. Um, I'm kind of, and I normally don't talk about politics, but it's a good, it's a good example for this. Um, I'm kind of center right ish eh, somewhere in there. Um, obviously pro law enforcement. Um, but my friend is very, very far left. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're best friends, absolutely best friends, but we sit down and we have discussions all the time. And obviously we're talking about, we normally talk about Canadian politics, but right now, you know, um, world news is what's happening down in the U S and so we have these discussions and we're able to sit down and have a calm adult discussion, both voice our opinions, both voice our disapproval of the other person's point of view, yeah. but offer counter arguments. And then also being open to listening to what they're saying and possibly even changing my opinion based off of what they're going to come at me with in terms of evidence or understanding. And that's a very different, that's probably the most difficult thing to do is to sit there and have somebody talk to you and be open to having them change your mind on a certain topic. Because as human beings, you know, we, once I get something in my mind, I'm like, I'm right. It's like, good luck trying to change my mind. And I think that's the first thing is we have to sit down and understand that we don't know as much as we think we do. And this is, this is something we tell all the officers that attend any of our training. It's, I don't care if you're brand new, if you're a recruit, if you're not even in law enforcement, or if you've been in 35 years, you don't know as much as you think, you know, and there's always room to grow. There's always room to learn. And we should take that approach in everything we do, including politics, including these community policing developments and specifically in training. So don't you think, so I want to go back <clears throat> a few things I want to go back on. So do you think though, that the reason why that you and your best friend can have this conversation is wouldn't you believe that it, because it doesn't, it's not like, it doesn't feel life and death for you. When we sit and we, and we're thinking about what's going on in America. Okay. It, it doesn't matter where I sit because, but I'm just going to give you a hypothetical, right? Far left and far right, no matter what, we have far right looking at their, you know, their gun rights being taken away. We're looking at defunding the police. We're looking at all of things that feel very life and death. This is very fundamental for uh, conservatives. They're going to be taken away. And then we look at the liberal, the, you know, uh, people who are liberals and, and they're feeling like their basic human, like, I don't know, needs or necessities are going to be threatened and we're not, you know, we're, we're not treating the environment. We're treating uh, like President Trump shut down our borders and all this shit, right? Like, and, they, and they're feeling very, um, I don't know, oppressed, right? So I would think, don't you think that that's probably, and, and what you said was correct. Like we need to be able to sit down and have these conversations, but without each side feeling literally threatened on a deep, deep basis, how, how do we go about and do that? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not a political sciences major um, and neither am I a U.S. citizen. So I'll, I'll just start with that. But to your point, I mean, of course, the first thing is going to be to find a neutral area in which to have the conversation. Absolutely. Right. So I mean, me Zoom's, a, Zoom's a fantastic medium. What we have right now online is fantastic because guess what? If I don't like what Autumn's saying, I can click the red leave button and I'm out of there. And that's the end of the, the confrontation. Right. Um, and so there really isn't any risk there. There is obviously a lot of risk um, when you talk about social media, you know, posting an opinion on social media. I recommend that people don't post their personal opinions on social media. I think I think it's been proven over the last 12 months exactly kind of what happens in that regard. Um, there's a reason why countries around the world are putting in active regulations to um, 
to stop what social media was able to do with your guys's election. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an issue, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be the reason why we don't have these conversations. Mm-hmm. The people that want to jump on and be keyboard warriors on Facebook aren't the people that are going to be changing minds and, and actually affecting change. 100%. They just, they want to sit there and start an argument for argument's sake. Those Absolutely. aren't the people you want to talk with anyways. Nope. You want to find a, you want to find a, an open forum that you can discuss things with. And I mean, obviously we hope we can get down to where we have in-person sit downs and meetings and, and sit down and have a, have a, you know, a coffee or a drink or a beer or whatever, and talk about differences and talk about how do we affect positive change. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, how do you get there? Yeah. It's a hard question. I it's, just want to hear your, yeah, it's, you know, it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy the way things have been played out. Um, I mean, you guys have, a, you have a lot of struggles to, to get through with, access to information mm-hmm. in the United States. And by that, I mean, I don't mean like your access to information act. What I mean is the amount of, here's the thing. We all know that general so or general media, like the, the media companies are biased towards the left for the most part, right? Yeah, correct. For the most part, mm-hmm. social media, obviously they've shown where they are. Yes. Right. The, and I, this was actually that came up in the discussion that I had with my buddy today. I said, they're not obviously giving all of the information to people on the left. They're very biased in their, in their opinions and their stories that they show. Right. I had a conversation with a firefighter who didn't, who was very far left. And when he brought up about, he's like, we don't want wars. We don't want uh, to be in any more wars. That's why we don't want Trump. And I said, where are you getting your information? My friend, I yeah. was like, He's the first president, not a, what is it, 40, 50 years to not engage you in a new conflict. He's signed these historic peace agreements. He's mm-hmm. pulled troops out of the Middle East, mm-hmm. right? All of these things. And now I'm not saying that constitutes keeping him on one way or the other. But what I'm saying is you're you're misinformed, or at least you don't have all of the information. Yeah. But the point that my buddy made to me today was, but people on the right do the same thing. Because if you're on the right, what news sources do you go to? Fox. Right? Everybody plays to their bias. And I mean, there are people that don't, right? I mean, I find myself lucky. I'm kind of a conscientious observer. I'm kind of like a a third party. I'm looking at 10,000 feet. And what I do is I go to Australia. I go to Britain to get news on the US political system because at least they give you both sides of the argument. Yes. Um, It's interesting though, because not everybody has the ability to do that or they want to do that. So- the first thing that you guys have to figure out is how do we get people actually access to information so that we're all coming to the the table with the same level of information. Mm. That's, and again, do I have an answer for you? No, I do not. I'm sorry. Um, but it's, there's so many pieces that have to fit together first. Yeah. Um, really open dialogue, communication, yeah. right? Big, what's the buzzword in law enforcement training right now? De-escalation, Right de-escalation training. I don't know why they don't just call it communication training because that's essentially what it is. Here's how to talk to people. Here's how to have a conversation without having to shoot somebody. Mm. Right. I mean, obviously that's, I'm, I'm taking that kind of out of context, but you get the idea. Yeah. It's about how do we talk to people? How do we start conversations? And I mean, as cliche as this is the only person that you have control over is yourself. So if you're not willing to do it, why are you asking somebody else to do it for you? Mm-hmm. True. What's your opinion on police reform, Adam? 
And the reason this isn't a random question, I just want to preface this. <laughs> That's okay. No, go ahead. The reason I'm asking is because, in my opinion, um, you know, a lot of the things that we had been discussing tonight, I think police reform could fix. You know, we talk about the training. We talk about being far left, far right, not being able to sit down. You talked about earlier, you gave an example um, about, you know, just being so um, separate, right? I think... I, and and this like the left feeling like why aren't you letting us protest and the right saying well, why aren't you listening to us when you gave us that example I I really believe police reform um, will give us those answers but first I'd really like to hear your opinion on it yeah well I mean there has to be reform in some way shape or form because mm -hmm. what's happening right now isn't sustainable correct so I mean that's an easy thing there is going to be reform that happens whether people want it to or not it's happening. And so it's a, it's going to be a good, it's, it's only going to be as good as people allow it to be. And so we all know the old guard. We know the people that are, you know, they don't want the changes to happen. They think, well, this is the way we've done it for this many years. Why, why do we have to change it now? Right. Mm -hmm. Those people are, are a problem. Mm -hmm. Just like the brand new people that are extremely progressive and say, we have to change everything. Mm -hmm. And so again, I hate to just bring it back to the middle ground argument, but we have to find middle ground in there somewhere. As far as police reform goes, again, it comes down to just education, right? The problem I find the biggest problem that I find, and, and this isn't my own personal, just come out of anywhere opinion. This is after speaking with hundreds and hundreds of experts on the topic. We have policymakers that have never served in uniform that have never been arrested. Right. They've never been. So they've either they've never been on the side of law enforcement, nor have they been on the side of people that get arrested or, or yeah. criminals. And yet they're making decisions that affect both. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's an issue. I mean, and it wouldn't it doesn't necessarily have to be an issue, but they're not going out to seek expert advice on that. They're making their own decision based off of just what they've heard from their peers and made a an informed, educated decision because that's what they learned in their sociology class in their second year of Harvard or wherever the hell they went to, right? Yes. That's an issue. Yeah. So one of the things that we've talked about many, many times is getting exposure to those people that are policymakers, the people that make decisions on police reform, on police funding, on criminal justice reform, on um, different types of legalizations for new laws or changes to laws. Anybody who interacts in the criminal justice field in general should have some type of exposure to that training. Um, one, there was an awesome video. Um, I can't remember what year it came. It was years ago, maybe 2011, 2013. Um, they had this pre, it was, he was a, he was a pastor uh, in a town and he came out and did training with law enforcement and they were doing use of force scenarios. They were in a parking lot. I don't know if you've seen this video. I've seen ones like it. Yeah. So he comes out and they're like, okay, we're just going to run you through a standard use of force training, blah, 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 blah. Here's the parameters. They give him a, uh, I think it was just a red man gun or a cert pistol. I don't know what it was. Um, and they run him through this scenario and they're like, okay, this is your use of force, right? Obviously, unless you have to don't, you know, pull your weapon, that kind of stuff. Act as you normally would. And the guy's like, yeah, no problem. Um, it was like the first, they were like 30 seconds into the first scenario. The guy pulls out his gun and shoots the suspect. And they're like, what are you doing? He was unarmed. He was like, I was scared for my life. Yeah. And that's a simulation. Like it's, they're simulating training and, and then they're going, well, why is this, 
he's like, that's interesting. He's like, that totally changes my opinion on this. And because the decision has to be made in a, uh, you know, one thirteenth of a second or whatever it is, um, that kind of stuff is, is just invaluable. Yeah. Right. So uh-huh. we have, there's amazing companies and I don't mean to just promote Vertra, but I, I work with them a lot and they're fantastic. Um, you know, they have simulators or any pick a simulator company, right? Mm-hmm. They have simulators all around the country. Why can't we take these policymakers and put them in a simulator for four hours and let them run through scenarios? hundred percent. Here's, here's a, here's a standard, um, you know, domestic. Yeah. Right. Here's, here's somebody who you, who's a, here's somebody who's bipolar, who's in a manic episode, but who's having, uh, who's in a state of psychosis, which is something that's very familiar that they're now saying that we shouldn't even send law enforcement officers to. I know. Right. Here's all these things. Here's, here's a handful of scenarios for you to go through. And then just, and really it should be a point where you don't have to say anything afterwards and they go, okay, (laughs) now I understand. Yeah. And that's a scenario. That's a simulator. Mm -hmm. Now imagine that when your life is on the line. Right. And so something as simple as that for policymakers, like put them in a simulator, like they sit around and do sweet fuck all. So I don't, sorry. I don't know if I can swear in your program. They do a, they, they do nothing for hours and hours and hours. Put them in a simulator for a couple hours with their local law enforcement department just to give them some exposure to it, right? Put them in a fire simulator if they're going to be making decisions about the, the fire service, mm-hmm. right? Put them, put them on, on call. Let them do a ride along with a, with a bus for half a day if they're going to make decisions about medical care and emergency medical services. Or, you know, you understand my concept. Absolutely. But why can't we do something like that? Where it, all we're serving to do is give them more information access to information so that you can make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. They may take that information and still choose to go the exact opposite direction, but at least you can say that we did everything we could. Yes. And then at that point it comes down to that's the person you elected to be in that position. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like it, time to change the person you elect. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as simple as that. hundred percent. I think you make some good points. Now take me back. I want to get to know who Adam is. So tell me about Adam. Tell me why you started this. You're obviously very passionate about training and, you know, changing the culture that way. So tell me about that. What, how, how did you get into this? That's a fantastic question. I have no idea. <laughs> I think, you know what, you know how it started. Here's how the part podcast started. So, uh, when my, when my daughter was born, my first daughter, so I have four kids under four, um, fun fact, wow. everybody. bless your wife. <laughs> yeah. I, well, here, I haven't figured out what's causing it yet. So um, <laughs> I haven't been able to figure it out. So when my daughter was born, my second oldest, um, I took time off. Obviously up here in Canada, we have fantastic um, benefits. So parental leave, like I ended up taking nine months off uh, paid when my daughter was born. Told my wife, she's a stay-at-home mom. She's fantastic. Um, I took time off. I was sitting at home helping her out, but very, very shortly into this time that I had off, she said, you need to do something. You're driving me crazy. So I I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I got on the horn with a bunch of people that I know. And this was before, this was obviously 2019. So this was pre lockdown Um, or it went in 2018, I guess, 2018. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what am I going to, what am I going to do with my life? I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. I knew I wanted to do training. I've had businesses, I've, I've had like security training business, martial arts training businesses, those types of things. Um, and but I was why like, I'm training? not reaching. Wait, but why training? Why are you so passionate about training? I don't know. I think, I think it's a calling for people. 
I think, I, I think it's the same reason why teachers are teachers. Right. There's certain people that that are that just love to share knowledge and information. Um, for me, my wife says, I just like to talk. She's like, you just talk too much, um, which could be it, too. I don't know. Um, but I, I have this thirst for for all things, knowledge and learning. And so I love to take courses just as much as I love to teach them. And and so for me, training was just always it. Every time I got into a role, it didn't matter if it was in security and military, anything. I was I always just gravitated to the training roles. When I was in the military, I was the, the training officer for our regiment. I got into like CBRN defense training, um, you know, running gas huts. And, and then we did the RSO stuff and I was running ranges and I was just always involved with the training aspect. And when I got out of the military, cause I, I, I was also injured. I ended up fracturing my spine. Oh, so wow. I had to get out. Um, they kept telling me I was an amateur officer, right? And they're like, you can trade transfer to a different trade. And I was like, why would I want to do anything else? I'm like, no, get me out of here. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> yeah, sit right. on a desk. Leave me alone. Right. Um, which is what I'm doing now, coincidentally. But you're um, doing it for yourself, right? So it's different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little different, a little different. Um, I don't get sweet free outfits though anymore. So that's that a shame. Sucks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, training was just always for me. I was, I was just always passionate about it. I love teaching. Um, I love sharing information. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how this whole thing started. And then I'm lucky. I mean, like I said, I can't take any credit. It's really the guys and girls that I know that I'm associated with that share their, that are willing to share their knowledge mm. um, with everyone. And it's, it's people that have the same passion for training as I do. So I reach out to somebody and I say, Hey man, you want to do a podcast? You want to do a training session? You want to do something? And it's always a yes. I think I've gotten one. No, I got one. No. Uh, early on, it was a, it was a Colonel who runs the special forces group for the Canadian forces. Um, and he was actively, uh, deployed and he's like, I can't do this right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fine. But, uh, but everybody else has been amazing. Uh, he was awesome too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, uh, what's yeah, your, it's, so tell us, I want to hear about what's your podcast. Like, what's the basis of it? If we go listen to it. Yeah. Tactical breakdown. Um, well, if you take the name on, on face value, it sounds like we're, you know, we do all tactical stuff, um, which is kind of a misnomer. And I really wish I would have maybe named it something differently now, because everyone's like, I don't like tactical, like I don't care about tactical, but I thought of it as a kind of a double entendre in a way where I look at tactical breakdown and obviously a tactical breakdown, if you're in training or you're in operations is something as simple as something not going to plan right? You have something planned out. It doesn't go to plan. It broke down. Now you have to fix it. Right. Um, also, if you break the two words down tactical and then breakdown, it's basically a strategic way of looking at things that are segmented, um, which is what training is. And so that was kind of where it started. It started as a way to bring people behind the curtain. So the number one question that I always got in training courses was how did, how, why are we learning this? Right. Why are we learning this? And I realized that we don't actually teach the students why we we're teaching them what we're teaching them. We're just teaching them the material. And so what I wanted to do was let them kind of in behind the curtain. And, you know, that, you know, after a course, when, I, when we're teaching a course, it's the instructor sitting down afterwards, we're either at a bar, having a beer, we're at somebody's house, or we're just sitting in the training room and a, doing an AAR on the training session. And it's like, what it, what went good? What went bad? What students were good? What students were bad? What are we doing next week? Yada, 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 all this kind of stuff. Yeah. That converse, I wanted to get people in on that conversation because mm -hmm. there's so much context there that people don't get. Yeah. They, 
the number one thing is understanding the why behind training. If somebody mm -hmm. can't buy into why we're doing training, they're not going to buy into the, just the concept itself, right? They have to, they have to believe in why they're learning it. And so the purpose of the podcast was to bring people in and say, this is the reason why we are running this type of training. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the core focus of it. We, we touch on a lot of things. I mean, we've, you know, I've had guys on there um, from Hollywood directors like Christian Gutegast to, you know, guys like Jay Dobbins to, I mean, everybody, but it's all about, it's all about just sharing knowledge, people that are passionate about training, sharing knowledge and information. Right. Um, and that's, um, that's kind of where it is. And we're just getting started. So yeah. It's, um, so what, what are we, what's, what are you looking for ahead? Like what's ahead? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what you're doing on Thursday. I was going to ask you this too. And I, I had this on the back of my mind. Um, but if you're free Thursday, that's we're Thanksgiving running... in the U S what's that? That's Thanksgiving. In oh, the sorry, US. not Thursday, Friday. Okay. I was like, a lot of people are busy that day. <laughs> so on Friday, Friday night, we're running a round table and it's all podcaster. It's for podcasters and law enforcement. So, um, so far, so, uh, Pat Fitzgibbons, Jay Dobbins, Jim Dudley, uh, myself, and, uh, and maybe one or two other people. But if, if you're interested, yeah, the invite is open. You're more than welcome to join us. Thank you. Um, it's just going to be a, it's just a, it's, you know, normally we pick like a, a topic, like we'll talk about, um, active shooter or tac med or whatever. This is really just an open conversation for podcasters talking about what we're doing, why we're doing it kind of like this conversation. Um, yeah. and what, what we feel is important to be sharing for officers to be sharing, um, with the public. So if you're, if you're free for it, I'd love to have you be on board for that. Um, yeah, Pat so and Jay are my boys. There you go. So that's immediate future. Cool. Um, and then after that, I mean, we have, uh, the next coolest thing I guess we have coming up is obviously we have a bunch of events with ILET network. So we have, uh, ILFE. I don't know if people are familiar with ILFE. It's the international association of law enforcement, firearms instructors. Huh, um, cool. if you, if you were to look at my, by whiteboard right now, literally everything is all acronyms. And so that's what <laughs> you have to get used to. I could not keep up with that <laughs> is, is, uh, is acronyms. Um, so ILFE is one that's coming up in January. Um, and then the next event that we're running is one that I'm super excited about and we're running, a, uh, the international summit on counter sex trafficking. Very cool. So, Did you know that? I don't think you know this, but I was actually on, um, HSI. I, the U S um, it's our human task force, human trafficking task force. I actually got trained by the feds. It was a two week training. It was freaking awesome. I have a coat. So it's pretty cool. Cause my, my U S people are going to understand this. I've got a coat that says that like, I'm an HSI agent, which is really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, we, you know, this was something that came out. So when I, when we ran, I we had a buddy of mine, Jeff Teagues, Jeff was former Delta. Um, he ran a two and a half hour, session on, on counter sex trafficking for law enforcement, but based off of kind of the military NGO perspective. Yeah. And which was awesome. Fantastic. But so many people were like, we want more information on this. Yeah. So we ran a three hour live round table wow. and everybody was like, we want more information on this. So I reached out to the guys and I was like, can we spool something up at an international level? And then they're like, I'm sure we could. They're like, can you get anybody else on here? And I was like, let me make some phone calls. Um, and so one, one fun fact about me is I don't go up a chain. I like start at the top. So when I make phone calls, it's like, 
put me through to the chief, put me through to the director, put me through to the CEO. Um, I just like to skip. I don't like to waste time, right? Because those are the people that are going to make the decisions anyways. Yeah. Um, and usually they just tell me to F off, but that's fine. <laughs> um, so the Summit on Counter-Sex Trafficking, it's March 3rd and 4th. Um, okay. We're doing it. Day one is open to the public. And then day two is going to be law enforcement only. Um, and so you have to submit credentials. Um, and that's because we're going to talk a lot about operational things. Cool. Um, but so far, uh, we have the RCMP, obviously, up here in Canada. It's our, it's kind of like our FBI. Oh, we know. We have, right? We're familiar. <laughs> okay. So we have RCMP, FBI, DEA, uh, U.S. Marshals. We have the AUS, We have a couple of AUSAs. Um, we have Interpol. We have um, the Director of Intelligence for Mexico, the Tactical Commander for the uh, Counter-Sex Trafficking uh, Joint Task Force in Mexico, um, the Council for Counter-Sex Trafficking of the Caribbean, um, Australia, South Africa, and uh, Interpol is also going to bring in instructors from like Eastern Europe and wow and everywhere. Um, and then we have obviously all of the the military guys. We have a lot of guys that were Tier One operators that now work for NGOs. Um, and then all the NGOs, truckers against tra trafficking, veterans for child rescue, all of the all the massive players. Have um, you um have you connected with uh, the is the what is it called? It's the underground. Is it the Oh, I don't know, but it's a really big, it's a really big nonprofit in the U S. Oh, what is that? Does anybody know that, that what I'm talking about? Um, it's, it's, it's something underground. I don't know, but it's really big Adam. In the way I may, I may have, I've, I've literally yeah. sent out so many emails. Um, yeah. I, I will, we'll follow up on this, but for sure. I mean, the, the goal is to get this out to as many people as possible. Yeah. Obviously the, here's the difference. We're going to run this for free. So every officer in the world, doesn't matter where they are, they're going to be able to attend this for free. And then we're going to put this out as a training package for agencies. Amazing. And, and so the reason being is because we're going to take things from start to finish when it comes to counter sex trafficking. A lot of people, I mean, there's different parts to the investigate. The, there's different parts that officers are involved in or not involved with. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to cover everything from how does a, how does one of these cases start, right? Is it a tip? Does somebody come in and say that they were being trafficked? Is it a call from a medical facility? Is it a um, is it a traffic stop? Right? Where does this where does it start? And then where does it end with the trafficker being convicted and this and the victim being cared for with through victim services and not being reintegrated back into the system? And so there's a lot of components between point A and point Z. Yeah. Or Z. Sorry, you're American. <laughs> um, there's, there's a whole bunch of different components in there. So what we want to do is show the entire process yeah. so that if you're an officer in a small town, somewhere in the middle of the U S or anywhere else in the world, and you don't have the resources of an NYPD an LAPD, or, you know, one of these major centers or ports, we want to give you all the access to information that you need to actually conduct one of these investigations yourself. Mm. Um, and so we have a lot of people that are undercover right now that work undercover sex crimes that are come on, going to come on and, and speak about active investigations. Um, and that's obviously on the kind of locked off law enforcement only side. Um, but it's, it's really just going to be that open dialogue. And then again, collaboration is a huge thing of what we're doing. And so you're crazy. If you think that you're, you may be amazing at sex trafficking or sex trafficking investigations, but they're probably doing something in Europe or in Australia or in the Caribbean 
or in Africa that's different than what you're doing that could actually assist the way that you do your investigations mm. right? and vice versa. Yeah. So the goal is to really open up that conversation so that internationally, everybody has the best tools available to them. I love and, that. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping for, and this may be a big number, but I'm hoping for a hundred thousand officers. Oh, I, don't, I think you can do it with everybody that you have coming on. Where do people go and sign up for this, Adam? Uh, countersextrafficking.com is the, is the actual website that we're going to be running it off of. Um, I can, I'll put the link here in the chat for you, but it's, it's countersextrafficking.com. It's just a, it's just a landing page right now. You can sign up to be put on the email list for when we start rolling this stuff out. Yeah. Uh, but it's up there. And, um, and that's kind of the next big one that I'm excited for. So that's exciting. Yeah. And then we have like 18 other events, but I mean, I, we don't got time to go through all those. <laughs> so you're busy. So where should people go to find you? So the tactical breakdown podcast is your podcast, but wh where do they go and hang out with you and stay up to date with the free trainings? Um, well, what we did was again, we started the ILET network. Um, so it's I L E T dot network. Um, okay. I tried to make it as simple as possible for people. Yeah. Um, so ILET dot network is the website. You can get all of the, we're going to have right now. It's fingers are kind of piecemeal because we've put it together. Yeah. Um, but by the end of, by the end of the year, all the podcasts will be on there, um, as its own thing, all of the training courses that we're running, all of the events that we're running, all of the companies and instructors that we associate with are going to be listed on there. So, um, you know, podcasts, especially too, right. I mean, uh, whether it's you or uh, Pat or Jay or Jim or whoever, they can access that as resources, um, really it's, it's, it's kind of going to be a hub for people just for law enforcement, law enforcement training. We, it's not about, I don't know why people have this big fear of like promoting other people, especially in the training space. Like yeah. there's enough training, there's enough training to go around. Yeah. You don't need like, especially podcasting, you know, I know you, you go on a ton of other podcasts, right? Just like we all do. It's let's share as much information as we can. Yes. Um, and that's what we're doing with this ILET network. So it's, it's, we're going to hub it all under one thing. Oh, um, and we have an app that we are getting developed. So That's all of the cool. training courses, it'll be an ILET network app on your phone. So any, if you have access to any of the training courses, you can actually access all of the training uh, right on your phone on the go. That's amazing. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Well, thank you, Adam. Thank you so much for coming and spending this hour with us. It's been really informative. I, I'm really excited for people to go and, and access the free training. I mean, it's just, it's a, sounds like a gold mine. So Sheepdog Nation, uh, make sure you go and follow Adam and pay attention to these trainings because you can bring it to your department and it's free. So what the hell? Absolutely. Well, Hey, and I'm sorry, I'm late. I, geez, I feel bad. I'm oh. sitting there. I'm sitting there. I have it like six o'clock on my thing. And then I'm like, I'm central. I'm like, Oh man, I screwed oh. this up. Oh, no, that's okay. That's all right. We were just, my mastermind and I, we were just chilling anyways. It's all good. It's all good. They buried me in the water and I came, I knew. Ha <laughs> ha. Now I'm baptized in blue. I'm a I'm a never quit. I refuse to lose. I got heart and I got crazy. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue. I'm a warrior. Just been baptized in blue I'm a fighter, never winner, never quit I refuse to lose I got heart and I got greasy I'm a warrior That's been baptized in blue I'm a warrior That's been baptized
baptized in blue uh. They bury me in the water in the Holy Ghost I came out with a badge and gun and a heart that said never run I signed up for a job you wouldn't dare to do This ain't no green screen movie, don't compare the two We look at your actions in the elements And everything relevant, if they line up Prepare to pay the consequence You do dirt, you get cussed, no bluff It's ignorant to think we will shoot with your hands up If you the police you feel the world is against you like Every call you go to, people trying to tempt you Well, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary I ride on the devil, I ain't scary And I ain't worried You want my life, come take it, it's gonna be a fight I take you to the light Like Will and Bright I wouldn't expect you to understand what I do Only the thin blue line Cause they baptized in blue uh. I'm a fighter, I'm a winner, never quit I refuse to lose I got heart and I got gritty Sometimes I can't help but cry Like why did he die? I know it was him But it could have been I What about the kids? Uh, what about the spouse? Yeah, now who gon' put food inside them babies' mouth? It's a bigger picture when the officer down Domino effect, Blue Nation, family, country, and town The media don't cover us huh. Well, maybe Fox, cause MSNBC and CNN Surely don't care about cops, politicians More concerned about protecting the legals That are laying the law down And protecting the people Let me get off my soapbox Before I curse, I don't see way too many cops Riding in hearse, well I wouldn't expect you to understand What I do, only the thin blue light Cause they baptized Blue, um. I'm a fighter, I'm a winner, never quit, I refuse to lose I got heart and I got gritty, I'm a warrior That's been baptized in blue, I'm a warrior That's been baptized in blue I'm a fighter I'm gonna complete it if that means being deleted I live with the credence I do this for the combat vets and LEOs When I'm suited, ready to go It's either friend or foe Only Lord knows what my future's in store I only kill with the hope to see more So God don't close that door If I take a life, it's him or me with the host to survive, not big a tree. I go in situations that you cannot imagine. Deal with things that you cannot fathom. No, it but so rather. I'd rather fight for cause than live for nothing. So when you read my headstone, you know I die for something. You hypersensitive, she complain by justified force. You blame the cops first. That don't work, you blame the courts. But I wouldn't expect you to understand what I do. Only the thin blue line, cause they baptized in blue. Um, I'm a fighter. I'm a winner, never quit, I refuse to lose I got heart and I got gritty, I'm a warrior That's been baptized in blue, I'm a warrior That's been baptized in blue I'm a fighter, never winner, never quit, I refuse to lose I got heart and I got gritty, I'm a warrior That's been baptized in blue, I'm a warrior That's been baptized in blue, uh